You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta pilots. Today's guest, Sean Kellett, Scheduling Committee Chairman, Frank Wedding, Scheduling Committee Vice Chairman, and special guest, Jessica McMahon, Chair of the Fitness Review Board. Here's your host, Ryan Argenta. We've got Sean Kellett and Frank Wedding of the Scheduling Committee. Again, thanks for being with us. Sean, what are the top three things you want pilots to know? Well, that's a great question. I've already alluded to a couple of these, but they're worth repeating. The first, and not really in any particular order, but the first I would say, understand why the scheduling committee exists. Frank and I always say that we are a product of our own success or a victim of our own success. And the scheduling committee over the last several years, we've morphed into something well beyond what it was originally created for. And we've morphed into what we'll call as some type of audit committee or audit agency. And uh, there's good reason for that because a lot of the pilots don't trust the company anymore. They got reroute pay. They don't trust that they got paid correctly or the company took the reroute pay away. They don't trust that they believe they're due reroute pay. And of course we advocate on behalf of the pilot and we'll do that research. So understand why we're here though, which is really to help the pilots once they reach a dead end with the company, which leads me to my second point is always reach out to the company first. It, not only because it makes sense, right? You always reach out to the person that you believe harmed you. So it's crew tracking, crew scheduling. And if you reach a dead end with them, cause you just can't get through. Uh, we understand there's wait times in excess of an hour or two sometimes for to get through to scheduling. Then talk to your chief pilot. Always talk to your supervisor and, and say, I think I was harmed this way, but at least give the company the opportunity to fix it or explain it. And then back to point one, if you reach a dead end on all of that, then that's when you reach out to us. You reach out to either via pilot report. We prefer the ACE for unions app manageable for us. And last but not least, I did talk through a little of this, Ryan, you and I spoke a little bit. You did a great recap on it. What does a pilot do if they have recommendations or they'd like to see different parts of the contract changed, or they want to see things added to the contract? And again, that process starts with each of their LEC reps. It's, it's a true bottom-up organization and the, the pilots. They go to their LEC reps who filter that all the way up through the MEC, give direction to the negotiators. We as SMEs support that and, and go forth and try to get the, the language changed to whatever the constituents want. So those would be my top three things that I would like the pilots to understand. Okay, thanks. And Frank, I want to hear from you. What are, what are your top three? The first one is knowing that we have scheduling alerts. You can get the scheduling alerts on your iPad, the company provided iPad under the Alpha folder as well as uh, Alpa, the Delta Alpha website. If you go to committees on the left-hand side, it's index of schedule alerts. Sean has done a great job over the last three and a half years of getting rid of all the fluff. And we've created a system where these are all need to know things for the pilots. Knowing those schedule alerts are there, knowing what is there and being able to reference them, I think are uh, pretty important for day-to-day -day operations. Second thing I want pilots to know is four times you can walk away from the contract that is not fly now, grieve later. There are four times that you can walk away from the uh, airplane and it is not a fly now, grieve later. Obviously, number one is an FAR violation. Uh, you cannot legally fly an airplane with an FAR violation. The second one is a PWA violation. If your last segment of the day is a deadhead segment and the company exceeds your maximum duty period by the table B or C limits We'll talk table B limits, but table B limits minus 30 minutes plus one hour, you can walk away from the flight and ask for a hotel accommodations. The third time is international deadhead. If the company does not provide you with an international deadhead seat, 
And the fourth time is tag on flying as a regular pilot. Those four times are not negotiable. Speaking of non-negotiable, we appreciate when the pilots do not negotiate to get other things out of those. That's why we have the contract for a reason. But at the end of the day, those are the four things that we say you can walk away from. And those are not flying out grieve lighter items. And the third and final thing is I'd like to see 13,700 pilots on ACE. Download the ACE for Unions app, get it, use it. It helps yourself out. It helps the committee out. Those are my three things. Love it. A lot of complex things. First of all, the PWA is complex to read. Most pilots try to read it and give up. Most pilots don't read the PWA, rely on myths and rumors. But there's some complex thing. You talked about the B chart and the C chart and the D chart. And you understand that, but the average pilot doesn't, especially somebody who's been on property for a month. So through the ACE for Unions app or reach out to somebody, if you're a new hire, you have a mentor, call your mentor, uh, text them, ask the question and get the information that you need without having to read the contract. Although that's the source document, that's where we should go, but we all understand it. It's complex. It, it was written by lawyers and it is difficult to understand. So be safe, be legal, and reach out to your MEC. If I may uh, give a shameless plug real quick for the scheduling reference handbook as well. So the PWA is literally written by attorneys. So it is difficult to understand. In fact, it's very difficult for us. Sometimes we have to go back and look at the negotiator's notes and understand what the intent of the language is. The SRH, the scheduling reference handbook is invaluable. It's still a couple hundred pages, but it's better than 600 pages of a, a legal document, but it includes screenshots and it's very pilot friendly. It's pilot speak. And that also is on your company iPad. And what pilots don't, I think, fully understand is all of our scheduling alerts which are hyperlinked, by the way, Frank told you where to go. They're all hyperlinked. So it takes you directly to it. Schedule alerts are all vetted through the company. The SRH is still uh, completely vetted through the company. And that means that all of those products are just as legally binding as the, the PWA, as the contract. So th there's a myth out there that the pilots think that the SRH is just gee whiz, good to know stuff. It's just techniques, but not legally binding. It is 100% legally binding. That is a great nugget and a, a debunked myth. Scheduling reference handbook is money. It's in the Alpha folder on the company iPad. Look for it. And I didn't realize it was, uh, it's a legal document. So thanks for that. Myth number one debunked. Here's a myth. Is the last day of a rotation generally the worst? Like, why does it feel that way that the last day your go home day? I'll take that one. I think that is very subjective. I, I think that it's just like saying a, a five day seems like it's really a 10 day. It's much longer than a four day. I think it really depends on how many rotations you've done. Cause it's a lot of pilots will shoehorn their entire schedule in the first 15 or, or 20 days of the month. So they have last half the month off or vice versa. So I think a lot of it is, is fairly subjective and it depends on what that pilot has done in the past. So I think that's why it feels like the, the last day is always the worst day. It may not really be, but I would bet that your cumulative fatigue and, and tiredness and all the shenanigans that are going on with the line right now, you're just, your fun meter's pegged by the end of your rotation. I think that's why it always feels like the worst day uh, of the rotation. Okay. Sounds like a myth kind of debunked, but makes sense. All right. Let's talk payback days, payback day usage issues. Final answer from the horse's mouth. How do I use a payback day through March 31st? And what if there's insufficient reserve coverage? The first thing I'm going to do, and I can tell Frank smiling right now without even looking at him, schedule alert 21-11. We have worked very hard over the last year and a half 
to completely revise 100% in the favor of the pilots to revise the whole payback day, bank payback day system. How uh, a pilot can apply them to how they uh, process them through the company. And even so much as we were able to get the company to agree to reprogram DBMS to show not only your payback days, because those are current year, but your supplemental payback days, which are last year's that have converted last year's payback days, which have converted to sub days that you can still use before March 31st. So anything a pilot wants to know to include these, these commonly asked questions, like what happens to my payback days on March 31st? Can I still use them? What happens on January 1st up until March 31st? People don't know what's it going to look like on my time card. All of that is included in that schedule alert. I think hundred percent of the time we reference anybody to that, they write back and they say, that thing is brilliant. Thanks for putting that thing together. I didn't know it existed. So the hardest part of this is getting pilots to know those products exist. And once they do it, it is, it's great. So look at the scheduling alert is what I got out of that. Through March 31st, you utilize payback day like any other. You submit the payback day request. iCrew will be changing within the next two weeks. iCrew will be changing to allow you. It, there will be separate screens that show you for payback day utilization. So you can place a payback day where you want it. You now must do both. You must submit PB and PD. And then you submit a smart sheet for it. I see you shaking your head, Ryan. I understand you're shaking your head, but everything is changing. And that's why it's in the scheduling alert because you have to read it and go, oh, this now this makes sense. Okay. Uh, now, your original question, yes, you can use an APD, an authorized personal drop. You can also use an IVD, an individual vacation day to drop rotations. Obviously the reserve required or lower for both of those are 25% of the required versus 100% for a personal drop or a payback day request. But yes, you can use an APD or an IVD. There are certain rules associated with that. So the rules associated with those that are current language in the contract have not changed. And, and the scheduler does explain all that. And the new scheduler that's going to come out, will have new screenshots of DBMS and we'll reiterate the whole process as well. Okay. Thanks. Let's roll our sleeves up a little bit. Extensions. Okay. We've touched on it in episode three. What is the bottom line? Let's keep it short. What's the bottom line on the company asking a pilot to accept an extension? That is extensions are not in the scheduling committee's wheelhouse. Really flight time, duty time, or the FRB could probably speak better to it as far as the moving parts behind it. But from a scheduling perspective, a pilot has zero, zero, that I say zero obligation to ever accept an extension. Great. There's new, there are new rules in place for the messages being sent via A cars and, and things like that. If you're not in the airplane via an A cars, you're on a sit and need an extension. But again, the FRB and flight time, duty time can answer those better. It's in their wheelhouse. It's completely regulatory. But what we tell pilots is you are under zero obligation ever to accept an extension. And now it's even easier because if you do not accept that extension, you used to have to fill out uh, FFDR, fitness for duty report. No, no longer are you required to fill out any more paperwork if you do not accept an extension. So you don't have to extend and you don't have to do paperwork to do and there you're still pay protected. Absolutely. So you should absolutely think twice, three times, probably four times about all the factors if you accept an extension. And the way I operate is what would the uh, NTSB report say? If, if there's a mishap, if there's something that happens and you accept an extension, that's going to come back to you. Exactly. Frank, can you be rerouted into an, an extension? No, you cannot. Thank you. What about the quote, but it's legal? Right. So you are on a rotation or you have a rotation and it's just filthy, dirty. And you go through the channels, you call the crew tracking or you call crew scheduling and they say, but it's legal. 
what protection do pilots have when rotations or F FDPs are technically legal, but they're just not practical or safe? Yeah, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's smart. We, we tell pilots that all the time. Yeah, legal doesn't mean smart. And as we're seeing in these rotations that get worse and worse, yeah, they're all built legal. They're, the company will not build illegal rotations. Are they smart? A lot of them are not smart. Yes, they're legal, but they're not smart. They're fatiguing. The pilots have tools. If they're legal, but they're unsafe or they're fatiguing, then use those tools. Call in fatigued, call in unfit for duty, talk to the duty pilot. Those are the tools that they need to use is their fatigue and unfit for duty. So there's a lot of different tools to, to utilize. Honestly, the hardest part is getting the pilots to pull over, set the parking brake and call uncle and, and not have that hero complex where they feel it necessary to get those 200 passengers or 300 passengers to their destination at their own demise. That's what we need to get to the pilots is go, you, your obligations to yourself and to your certificate and the safety of, of course, it's to the safety of those two or 300 passengers. But if you're flying fatigued, you're getting them to their destination, but you're all in danger. So we, that's the hardest part is getting pilots to utilize the tools that are available for them. Okay. And it's probably worth bringing up. I've had to call the duty pilot a, a couple of times. And first of all, I feel that they are great. They're knowledgeable. They always have your back. At least it appears that way. They don't ask questions, especially if you're calling in fatigue. There's no questions asked. It's done. They've been great. There is a, a specific phone number for the duty pilot, but the easiest way that I found, and you can back me up on this, you call the same number that you call for scheduling. And when the little computer man says, how can I help you? You say duty pilot, and he automatically connects you to the duty pilot. You can ask questions you can get your answers from the duty pilot fairly quickly there. True or false? That's absolutely true. And, and pilot assist is also another one where they can, a chat function on the, on your company iPad, pilot assist is responsive to that, that as well, but you are correct. Yep. That's a great point too. Thanks. Moving into some pilot questions that were submitted through the Dart system. You can submit your questions to the Engage podcast via Dart through the Alpha website. You can get in touch with us any way that you want, but Dart is the best way to do it. I've got a, uh, a Dart from a Seattle 737 captain, and he said, can you please explain to pilots that it's illegal to be rerouted on a deadhead only day? I had one deadhead leg from Seattle to Atlanta, and the flight attendant handed me a printed ACARS message rerouting me to operate a leg upon landing in Atlanta. Upon landing, I queried crew tracking, who immediately removed the leg and explained that the computer doesn't flag rest issues on deadhead only legs. Is there a fix? So uh, I'll take that one. You cannot be made to operate a flight segment on a deadhead only leg with a caveat, right? And that caveat is this. If you report for duty after a rest, because while you're in rest, the company expects you to be rested. If you report for duty and you're early and you show up at the gate early, prior to your report time, they can reroute you to an operating segment. Once you've reported though, per our PWA, you cannot be rerouted to an operating se segment. It is a deadhead only day. The schedulers know, the trackers know when you're in rest that you've, that you were in rest, but obviously once your day has started, they don't know what your previous rest cycle was. Okay. So bottom line with that little caveat, but bottom line, if you have a deadhead only day, that is your only obligation. You cannot be rerouted to fly an operating leg. Correct. Okay. 
Thanks. I see the rapid fire section is not going to work with scheduling. It's complex. You're right. The, the PWA is complex. Scheduling is complex. And that, that's why we're bringing in this podcast to, to highlight some of the, the key issues that are, are coming up. Uh, we are picketing to demonstrate to the management that we're tired. We're fatigued. That's on March 10th at the Atlanta airport. Reach out to the MEC if you want to participate in that. <laughs> There's free food, which may attract some. And it's during the MEC meeting. So you can come in and Get some information, see how an MEC meeting works, and then join your fellow pilots to to tell the company we're fatigued, we're we're tired. We've got another a dart from a 737. This is time it's a New York 737 FO. He writes in, scheduling changed my rotation prior to the report time to show at an earlier report time. What do I do? So you would call scheduling. That would be an illegal rotation. The company is allowed to advance your departure time, not your report time by up to 15 minutes. Changing your report time would make it an illegal rotation and you should contact crew scheduling. And you'd be removed and pay protected? Correct. Okay, same pilot writes in, scheduling changed, this poor guy, the scheduling changed my rotation prior to the report. I acknowledged the change, then they changed it again, still prior to my initial report. This doesn't seem legal. I would assume he's talking about IROPS in this case. If he's not talking about IROPS, the previous answer applies. If he's talking about IROPS, then if he acknowledged his recovery obligation, that was his first recovery obligation. His second recovery obligation, unless the company is in double recovery operations, then he is, and I know I'm not saying that correctly, but he is not obligated to fly that rotation. He should be removed and pay protected. And if I may, just one caveat, I'm going to say, we have written several schedule alerts that, that go into great detail. There's a, a Q&A schedule alert for recovery. There's, you know, what, what should I know about my recovery? And, and these are covered in there. We've got another question here. This is from an Atlanta 7ER captain. She writes in, when we speak to scheduling or crew tracking, can we assume that they understand our contractual PWA requirements? I'll take that. I would be very careful about assuming anything that sh should they know? Yes, they should know. Will they speak confidently like they do? Even if they don't, I think most probably will because it's a pride thing, but realize they get very little training in our contract in most of their crew scheduling, crew tracking still has a little bit of classroom training where they learn 117 and, and different things like that, but they have very little training in our contract. They have some, but most of it is on the job training. So. It behooves you to already know the answers before you call scheduling or tracking, or at least have researched it before you call them, because oftentimes you're going to get the wrong answer. So realize if you're getting an answer that's, that sounds wishy-washy or they are confidently wrong, there are other avenues you can go as well. You can always ask for a supervisor. There's a crew tracking, crew scheduling supervisor there all the time, 24, 7, 365. You can talk to the duty pilot. So don't be afraid to utilize those, but trust, but verify. Don't assume that scheduling and tracking know the contract as well. Okay. We've got another one. Uh, this is a more rotation construction, but I want to throw it your way. This was a question from a Detroit 330 FO. She writes in wide bodies on combined international and domestic rotations. It happened on the ER. Now it's happening on the A330. It's fatiguing to have domestic days before flying a transoceanic segment. I thought we resolved this when the seven ER pilots found this fatiguing. Why are we allowing this again? 
a much better question for flight time duty because they are the ones, they actually have many different fatigue mitigation rules that the company has agreed to that unfortunately, even Frank and I and many other members of the uh, the MEC are not privy to. We're not allowed to actually see the rules, as, as odd as that sounds. But there are at least 28 new fatigue mitigation rules that are in effect that are Part of the art when the association, the RCC and flight time duty time meet with the, the fleet planners every month. I will tell you that from the scheduling perspective, that has become the norm only because of capacity. They didn't have enough pilots trained or current or qualified to, to pull a lot of the, the narrow bodies out of uh, parking right now. And, and we're obviously getting better every day. So the only way to, to increase capacity was to now start flying wide bodies on domestic routes, which they didn't do. We've seen 350s flying Orlando turns. We've seen 330s flying to Jacksonville and to Tampa, things that we've never seen before because they needed capacity and they didn't have the pilots to fly other airplanes. So that's the answer from the scheduling. But again, for a better answer regarding what is and is not allowed, flight time duty time is the best committee to discuss that. Okay. Yeah. And we'll... Toss that to Jessica. She'll probably have a, a different perspective or more information on that. I'm on the 330. Yeah, we see a lot of domestic stuff. Un understood. I do want to go back to a point you just brought up, and this is my own question. You said that when you meet with the company, scheduling, flight time, duty time, uh, and fatigue, they speak with the company every month. And you said there's a series of rules. There's 28 fatigue rules or 28 rules that you are not allowed to know. Yeah, that sounds silly, doesn't it? But that is true. There were rules that the company did not want these rules released to the entire pilot group and, and didn't want them released to, I, in fact, I think they only allowed four people to see those rules, four people on the association side. Frank and I, scheduling committee, we are not allowed to see what those rules, one person from the RCC is allowed to see them, flight time, duty time is allowed to see them, and I think one person from the admin is allowed to see them. But beyond that, no one in the association has seen those. So we're going to subject our pilots to rules about flying and fatigue and rotations. And they're the cogs in the wheel that are making this happen so that we can make money, but we're not going to tell you the rules that you're playing. And to your point, Ryan, I would argue that if the company is going to great strides to improve at least the safety and, and reduce the fatigue on these rotations, you would think that they would want to climb to the highest mountain and scream that from the mountaintop. So everybody knew what the, that they were doing. So why they would not do that and in fact go the opposite direction and not want anybody to know, I, I do not know. I, I, I cannot speak to that, but I feel the same as you. It's, it's frustrating to, to say the least that the scheduling committee is not allowed to see these. And why, I, I do not know. I would think in the interest of safety and fatigue mitigation, they would want everybody to know that they're trying to improve these and that they've created these 28 rules, at least 28 rules to help the pilots, but it's very weird. And again, not for me to answer, but I'm just giving you my, my emotional portion. I, I agree with you, it's nonsensical. So we are being made to fly rotations. We're being made to fly a schedule that are based on these rules that we can't know, right? So it's, it's, we're playing a game and we don't know the rules of that game. Jessica McMahon, chairman of the fitness review board. Can you talk to that? It's ridiculous to me. This is more Lisa Nidal and F4MT, but from a common sense perspective, if you have rules, I mean, you don't tell everyone what the rules are, well, then you don't have to follow them. So they really are meaningless. You can turn them on and off as you please. There's no way to measure them. So yeah, why would they? want us to know what the rules are because then we would know 
if they're breaking them. It's a very odd concept that they came up with. And again, it loops back to the message that the company is sending out that things are better. See, <laughs> you know, they're telling us so they're, that it's better. So they're essentially trying to placate the pilot group by publishing, telling us our own feelings, telling us our own emotions, right? They're saying, hey, the, the rotations are better. You're fine. Just keep going. We're taking care of you. We have these 28 risk mitigation things, but we're not going to tell you about those. Don't worry about that. Just keep flying. Yes, we've got you. We've got you. Okay. I'll leave it at that. We're with the MEC chairman on our next episode. I think uh, we just found a topic to dive deeper into. Okay. Final dart submitted. This is a Seattle 220 captain. He writes, co-terminal operations are fatiguing and poorly planned. For example, we are consistently getting rotations landing in San Francisco during rush hour traffic after a four leg max FDP day, only to sit on a horrid van with no suspension that smells like salami for an hour and 30 minutes transiting to Oakland. We have the same issue in LA. Can you please stop doing that to us? I'm not laughing at the, <laughs> but I'm laughing at the salami portion of it. We do not edit these questions. I read it as they're written. That's great. That's great. I, I can't disagree with that at all. Co-terminal operations are a mess. And it really, it goes back to the rules that, that FR 117, for example, you're released at your block in plus 30 minutes, right? That's an FR 117 thing. So you're released into rest, even if it takes you an hour and a half to two hours because of traffic to get to your hotel, that hour and a half to two hours is considered rest. It is considered rest in the eyes of FR 117. And if that cuts into your, you have a, a 10 hour and one minute layover. And you get to the hotel now with eight hours because it took you two hours to get there in traffic. The reality is, and I know everybody hates this, and we just talked about this, it's legal, but doesn't mean it's smart, right? And it's the same on the other side, by the way. You're, you get picked up on the van in the morning. That's still considered, I'm using air quotes, that's rest on the way to the airport because your flight duty period doesn't begin until your report time at the airport. So the same thing on that side. If you get picked up early in the morning at your hotel, and it takes you an hour to get to the, air the airport, that hour is also considered rest. So let's say cumulatively, it took you two hours to get to your hotel because of traffic, and it takes an hour to get to the airport the next morning. Well, that's three hours you spent in rest in a salami, stinky, uh, stenched van. And I get it. You pick up the phone and you call tracking. You don't ask tracking. You tell them, say, hey, it took me two or three hours to get to the hotel. I'm not going to get the rest I need. So I need you to delay my van. Don't ask them. You tell them what you need. So bottom line for listeners, minimum amount of rest is eight hours behind the door. That's not checking in. That's not traveling to or from. That is eight solid hours behind your hotel room door. Anything that intrudes upon that, that's a red flag. Is that correct? You're correct. Call crew tracking and tell them exactly what you need. Crew accommodations will extend your reservation for your hotel. They'll change your van pickup time. And, and you call, you pick up the phone and you tell them. And I think 0% of the time are they going to give you pushback. I think every time they're going to say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. And they're going to change that time. But that is a tool that pilots, do, in my opinion, pilots don't utilize enough. And Ryan, they will do that because the alternative for them is for you to make the fatigue call, which makes it worse for them. And so they're keen on doing that for you. I've done it actually. Okay. That, that, yeah, that, that's a great point. So work with tracking, be directive. So it sounds like until you take matters into your own hands, use your pilot authority. Here's a pitch for captain's authority. Yeah. Maybe it's been stripped in other ways, but when a captain calls tracking and they make a statement, we're going to be picked up an hour later or two hours later, you're going to delay the flight. 
they will back it up. They'll comply with it. That's a great resource and a great pitch. And that goes for other things too. We had some other darts that just didn't make it into the show for time. A lot of transportation, a lot of hotel stuff. Another episode, we'll pick those up, those questions back up for them. But for example, we have contractual requirements for transportation. And if your transportation arrives outside of that limit, take an Uber and expense it. Exactly right. Same thing. If, if it's cutting into your rest, you adjust it. A, a question. Ryan, before we move on, can I, one more thing to that. It's an important point to take away pilots. Realize every single pilot is responsible to determine their own fitness. A captain can't look at an FO and say, you're fine. An FO can't look at a captain and say, you're ridiculous. You don't need more sleep. Even if you're an FO and it's the captain saying, we're not doing that. We're not delaying pickup. You look at him or her in the eyes and say, you I'll see you at the airport an hour later, or, or it looks like you're going to have a different FO tomorrow. Point is don't let somebody else determine your fitness. If you are unfit, if you're not getting the rest you need, it is not, it's not a group effort. It's not a, let's decide together if we're, if we are fatigued or not, it's an individual decision. And even if you think someone's going to give you pushback about it, you make the right decision. You have a legal obligation to do that and don't let anybody talk you out of it. Yeah, that's a great point. It's easier said than done. I get it, but everybody's their own person. You've got to make your own decision. We had a new hire on probation, feeling fatigued on his first rotation off of OE and wanted to make a fatigue call. And the captain said, nah, we better not. You're on probation. That could be bad for you. And the FO continued to trudge on until he finally couldn't, just couldn't handle it. And he texted his mentor and said, I'm fatigued. And the captain told me not to call him fatigued. And that's a major problem. If you're a new hire, if you've been here for 30 years, pick up the phone, there's help, there's resources, call fatigue, whatever you need, your MEC will back you up. Scheduling will back you up. From the horse's mouth, Sean Kellett, chairman of the scheduling committee, Frank Wedding, vice chairman of the scheduling committee, and the MEC will back you up as a pilot. Sean, every Frank? time, hundred percent of the time, every time we will, no questions asked. Thank you for being here. Thanks for your time. I know these are complex issues. There's a lot of complexity with the PWA, with scheduling, with the pace of operations that we're under now. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the opportunity to do this. I, I hope the pilots find this invaluable. Frank and I will be happy to do this for as long as we can. This is great. Thank you for being with us. This is good momentum, good uh, information for the pilot group. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. We'll even have you on as uh, special guests, uh, tag on segments for some of the questions that we get through the dark. Speaking of Dart, you can submit your questions to our show. We'll read it unedited on air with a subject matter expert that it applies to. You've got questions. I want answers. Next episode, we'll check in with the MEC chairman and the negotiating chairman, Chad Smith, on negotiations. Thanks for listening. This has been Engaged, the podcast for Delta Pilots. My name is Ryan Argenta. Stay safe and keep the rubber on the road. You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta Pilots. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform and receive notifications when a new episode is available.